The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
I want to start off in the book of 2 Corinthians, verse 10, or chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, and it says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So I saw a video the other day, and it went something like this. There was two friends, and they were at a gym working out together. And there was a lifter and a spotter, and the lifter was was fixing to start lifting, and the spotter says, you know what, 70 pounds, it's pretty impressive. The lifter says, nah, it's not that impressive. And the, the spotter said, yes, it's pretty impressive. He's, the, the lifter said, no, it's really not. And the spotter said, you know, it's not that impressive to you, but to me it is. And he says, this is the, the key. The, the spotter says, listen. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. If you constantly compare yourselves with others, you will never be happy. So that is an impressive weight. And who cares what other people lift? And the lifter said, well, what if I'm not satisfied? And the partner says, well, it's okay to not be satisfied. It's always okay to strive to be better. But when you stop comparing yourself and you stop with negative talk, you will get better. So that's the, that's the topic that I'm talking about is comparison is the thief of joy. Two weeks ago, we started our 2024 track season. And I face this issue every year. You know, I'm blessed with some very impressive, some very gifted throwers that throw shot put discus and javelin for myself. But I always have those kids that come in as freshmen who want to be great. But when they walk out to practice that first day and they can't throw, they can't do as good as those upperclassmen, they give up. So what I'm trying to teach these kids, what I'm trying to per, to convey to them is you cannot compare yourself to them. You can't compare yourself to them because when you compare yourself to somebody else, you're taking your joy away. You're taking your joy to get better away because I'm not as good as that one. And so... One of the things, I have, a, I have a thrower on my team this year who is the defending 4A state champion in the, in the sport of javelin. He's impressive. But I had to teach him the same thing. Whenever he came to me the first time as an 8th grader, he came out for one track meet at the end of his 8th grade season to compete for me. And he threw javelin one time at one track meet. And in his mind and in his, his way of thinking, he got embarrassed. And so he made up his mind as an eighth grader, I'm not, gonna let, I'm not getting embarrassed like that again. I'm going to get better. He came out as a, as a freshman and he did get better. But whenever he got to the ultimate measuring tool of the state track meet, In his mind, he got embarrassed again because he didn't compete as well as he wanted to. So he made up his mind that he was never going to have that happen again. He comes out last year as a sophomore, and nothing that I've done, the only thing that I've ever done is guide the kid to to pull the best of himself out of himself. I've never taught this kid a thing. 
But he came out last year and never once lost a track meet in Javelin. He went undefeated as a, as a sophomore in high school, and that's unheard of. But here's the thing. This young man would never have gotten to that point if he continued to compare himself. There was always somebody that he looked at as being better. That person's better than me. And I had to teach him, do not compare yourself to them because then you take your joy of throwing. Don't let them steal that joy. But it wasn't until he made the choice to change his mindset. And how did he do that? He got to the point, he got to an open door. One side was dark, one side was light. And the fear and the pain of staying on the dark side of the door or on the light side of the door, that fear and that pain became more than the pain of the unknown walking through that door and working hard and changing his his workout patterns, changing his lifestyle. That pain became less than staying behind the door. Church, our faith is like that. Our faith is the same way. There are men in this room that I I really, really look up to. There are men in this room that I admire because of their walk with Christ. But if I'm always comparing myself, my walk with their walk, I'm going to get discouraged because I'm never going to get to that point. But I'm where I'm supposed to be. You are where you're supposed to be. Your walk with Christ is your walk with Christ. And until we get to the point to where the pain of staying here is more than the pain of stepping forward in Christ, we're never going to change our mindset. We're always going to compare our life to somebody else. Remember, comparison is the thief of all joy. That statement is a small excerpt from a quote by Teddy Roosevelt. And this is what that quote says. Comparison with something that is better is the thief of joy. Comparison with something that is worse is a joy, full of relief and gratitude. You cannot always choose what happens to you or your circumstances. But you can always choose your attitude by what you choose to compare your experiences or your circumstances to. And therefore, you will feel. And therefore, you choose how you will feel. We can make any experience either a heaven or a hell by what we compare it to. Our emotions are an inside job. Our emotions are ours. My life is mine. My life belongs to me through Christ. And I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And you are too. And whenever we get to the point that we accept that our, our walk with Christ is exactly where it's supposed to be in Christ. And we stop comparing ourselves to somebody else's walk with Christ. We will find our joy again. We will continue in joy. Let's go back to that verse. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the gift of your Word. And that it teaches us that we are perfect in your eyes. We are perfect whenever we put ourselves with you. 
alone we can achieve nothing, but with you and through you we can achieve anything. Heavenly Father, allow us to find our joy. Heavenly Father, allow us to find our joy with who we are and step forward in faith with you. Lord, as we come to this table today, remember that you are the ultimate gift and you are the giver of joy. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Sign on the back window changed my day. It makes the rounds every once in a while. It's a story of a lady driving behind a beat-up car. Uh, it's kind of bouncing around, it's jumping around. And the sign in the back window said, learning to drive a stick. Sorry for the delay. Can anybody relate? Okay. And she said, the information changed my attitude. In fact, she said, nah, I didn't need to be in that much of a hurry anyway. And, and there's a little more grace. And then she thought... Would I have been as patient with that driver if that sign wasn't in the window? I'd love to say we would, but let's be honest, we probably wouldn't. We don't really know what others are going through. It would be really cool if people walked through life with a sign that said what they're dealing with. Hey, I'm going through a divorce. Hey, uh... I just buried my parent. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm struggling with our, our kid. I, I just don't know what to do. I'm overwhelmed with debt. I, depression hurts. You see, if we could see those signs, I think we would all be a little more patient. But what happens if we don't see the signs? There's a lady named Ann Lamont that said this, and I'm kind of, I heard it in, in a podcast this week. She said, uh, the game of life is hard, and most of us are playing hurt. I was like, man, that might show up on my wall pretty soon. The game of life is hard, and most of us are playing hurt. That's why we're doing this series called Running the Gauntlet. Our theme this year is anothering, and we're looking at obstacles to us anothering. What is keeping us from caring for one another and, and witnessing to one another and forgiving one another? And so we're talking about some mental health issues. And this is never, not meant to be a diagnosis. This is meant to be a, uh, a discussion about the things that hinder us. If our job is to carry the message of Christ, then our mental health struggles can, can cause, uh, cause us to drop that baton. Things like anxiety we talked about last week, discouragement, bitterness, worry, or the words we're going to talk about today, guilt and shame. Now, our purpose is not to add any more guilt, and my purpose is not to spout opinions. I want us to look at Scripture and see how these things play out. And you might be sitting here going, okay, Don, this isn't for me. I'm not really dealing with any guilt. That's totally fine. If this is not for you, I, I understand that. But my hope is if it's not for you, that it will increase our compassion for somebody else. Does that make sense? That we will understand what other people are carrying. And especially this discussion of guilt. Guilt is a giant. It's a giant that has very interesting powers. It's invisible, but it's very heavy. People all around us are slowly being crushed by guilt. Guilt kills slowly. It suffocates the life out of people. It suffocates the joy out of people. We see it in history and stories. Lady Macbeth washing her hands. She couldn't get the blood off her hands. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, telltale heart. We all had to suffer through that in high school. And that, that heart beating underneath. Oh, sorry to the English teachers. I apologize. But we all hated it. So uh, but it, it's that head under, you know, that heartbeat underneath the floor that just keeps beating. And it's driving the guy insane. Now, you might be saying... But Don, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't murdered anybody. That's great. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. All right. 
But in our church family, there, you might not be very far from people that have hurt. Within the sound of my voice might be a woman that has dealt with an unplanned pregnancy and made a decision that haunts her still. Maybe somebody in this room or watching online is a man that just cannot put down the bottle. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and and the more you try, the more guilt you have. Maybe it's it's the remember, remembering the affair you had or the affair your spouse had. Maybe it's the the yelling that you have yelled at your kids or your family members or that friend or or your spouse. Maybe it's just the bad you that you used to be. Sometimes the guilt of our past can keep us from moving forward. And then you come to church and you hear no condemnation. And Jenna reads that verse from Romans 8, 1 and says, and it's supposed to be an encouraging verse. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And the verse that is supposed to encourage us actually kind of makes us feel worse because I still feel condemned and I still feel terrible. So there's so there's church guilt. Anybody know what church guilt is? You know, you're not doing enough. You hadn't been enough. Then there's mom guilt. Anybody understand mom guilt? Mom guilt is this idea that mom is uh, has kids, but she wants to work. So she's at work. She feels like she should be at home with the kids. She's at home with the kids. She feels like she'd be at work. Guess what? Dads have that guilt, too. We, we battle that, too. Then there's neurotic guilt. You don't even know why you feel guilty, but you're just dealing with it. It just keeps coming back up. Dr. Kirk Thompson, in his book, The Soul of Shame, gave a more nuanced re- approach to guilt and shame. And I thought this was interesting. He said, shame is not necessarily extreme humiliation. Rather, it is born out of a sense of Something is wrong with me, or I'm just not going to be enough. And it can make you feel powerless to change your condition or your circumstances. So in other words, the nagging feeling that you, no matter what you do, or no matter what you don't do, you're never going to get it right. You see, that guilt, that shame will absolutely keep us from anothering. It will limit our, our impact for the kingdom of God. So let's look in Scripture. Join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul has a great deal to say about this, about guilt and shame. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 7. On the back of your bulletin is the verses we're going to look at today, if we have time to get through all of them. I think Paul gives us a cheerful earful here. Uh, he, he is trying to get us to deal with the weight of guilt and shame. Join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're online, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Join me here. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Now, keep that open. First of all, the previous letter that Paul references here, I don't think is 1 Corinthians. The historians and scholars have gone in and said it's another letter that Paul probably wrote that has been lost to us. Maybe it's half Corinthians or one and a half Corinthians. I don't know what it is. But it was some letter we don't have, and it caused them pain. But either way, he's not sorry he made them sorry. And he's introducing some vocabulary words I want us to look at today. This is going to be more teaching than preaching, and I need you to stay with us. If you want to take notes, we're going to look at four words. Guilt and conviction and shame and condemnation. And if you want to deal with this, these words are not interchangeable. 
We need to see the differences in these and what is causing our pain. So let's get started. Guilt. Let's look at this one. Guilt. Guilt is a condition. It is not a feeling. There, it is what you are. When you're in the courtroom, uh, when, when Quentin's got you in the courtroom, you got two ch- options. Guilty, not guilty. There's not a kind of guilty, okay? Uh, sort of guilty. I mean, there's other things by insanity, which is mine for every speeding ticket everywhere. Um, but there's only the two choices, guilt and not guilt. It's a state of unhappiness marked by regret that you violated a law or a rule or a, or a, you violated somebody's feelings. You can feel guilty and not be. True? You can also not feel guilty and be guilty. We call those sociopaths. But, um, (laughs) no, I mean, seriously, you can, you can not feel it. But you were still guilty. It's an awareness that there has been something uh, wrong done. Some action happened. Now, shame is a feeling. It's a feeling that can come after guilt. But it, it's not just about what you've done. It attacks who you are, your identity. That song that Jesus, that you're a way maker, a promise keeper. That's his identity. But sometimes it can attack our identity and we start thinking we're a failure. In the Bible, it has connotation of despised or, or uh, uh, covered in sackcloth and ashes. When there is a, a, a moment of shame, it is a lowered head. It's those kind of things. It has a way of taking a standard like guilt and pointing it at myself. It is actually self-directed anger. Self-directed blame. It's even self-directed rejection. I'm rejecting me in shame. But the other words, the next two words, conviction and condemnation. Conviction is an awareness of guilt or something has been done wrong. And it's an action that leads to correction. Okay? It exposes sin and draws us to repentance. John chapter 16 verse 8 says when he comes the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and righteousness. Notice it didn't say condemn. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us. Sidebar, it's not our job. We're not in the convicting business. We're in the telling business. The Holy Spirit will do the convicting. And this is the first step toward Jesus Toward forgiveness from Jesus Christ. How can you be forgiven for something that you don't even understand is wrong? Now, some of you are sitting here right now going, Don, I've done this. I got this. Great. But some of you may not. Unless you recognize where you fall short, you can't really enjoy grace. But condemnation. Condemnation is a different word. It speaks of the fear of being cast out of God's presence. It has a feeling of worthlessness and a feeling of no hope. And I need you to hear this right here. I believe strongly that condemnation is unacceptable for believers. I believe that it is not supposed to be in our DNA because of Romans 8.1. For therefore, there is no condemnation, zero, for those that are in Christ. If you have come to Christ, yes, we should feel bad for our sin. But we should be repent and not be crippled. Not be crippled by this feeling of failure. Let me see, for purpose of illustration... I think guilt and conviction go together, and I think shame and condemnation sort of go together, but I don't think they're interchangeable. And just for an idea, let's stay with this concept here, okay? I go out, I do something dumb, I, I hurt, I, I spread a rumor, I hurt somebody. So guilt says I feel bad for something that was done wrong. Shame says I am bad. Conviction says i got to fix this. I need to right this wrong. Condemnation says there's no hope for me. And I can prove it to you in two people, Peter and Judas. 
Now, if you visited with me in my office, we've talked about this before. This is something I believe very much in my core being that that Peter and Judas were two guys that had very similar backgrounds. They spent the same number of days and nights with Jesus, or fairly close to the same number. They were listening to his teaching. They were walking with him. They, on the same night, they did basically the same sin. They both denied the power and the authority of Jesus. But one goes and kills himself, and one goes and becomes helps to build the foundation of the church. Stands on the steps of, of the temple and, and teaches us. You see, I think conviction causes us to act. And condemnation leads to death. And that's why I want to talk about this. We do not want that for you. We do not want condemnation. We don't want you carrying this kind of guilt. I believe God wants you free from condemnation. We talked last week about unequally yoked. Remember the whole big wooden thing with the oxen? And you go where it leads. You don't lead it where you want to go. It goes where you go where it goes. Because it is the weight. And if we are unequally yoked to shame, then it is leading us to condemnation. And we don't need to be there. I also want to say this too. And say this as publicly and as clearly as I can. If the guilt you are carrying was something that was done to you, run to the loving arms of Jesus. That is not guilt you were meant to carry. And I am sorry. It shouldn't have been yours at all. But some of... We have people that have dealt with rape. We have people that have dealt with, with pains that are beyond my brain's understanding. And I'm, I'm so sorry for you. But he can carry the weight of that. You don't have to. And if you need to talk to someone, and if you need to get therapy, that is okay. I heard on the radio this week, therapy comes from the Greek word therapuo, and it means to recover wholeness. Has there ever been a more Jesus word? To recover wholeness. That's what he wants of us. So if you need that, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting some help. Recently we were uh, traveling and we went into a convenience store. I will not tell you the name. Uh, and But I won't tell you where it was at, Friona. And... Uh, and so we were going to Amarillo, we stop, you know, go to the bathroom, get a, a, a Sprite, whatever. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to the restroom, and uh, I go to wash my hands, okay? Simple little sink, right? Just, just a sink sink, just a plain old sink sink. In Spanish and English is a sign above this sink. In both languages it says, please wash only hands in this sink. Don't wash other body parts. If you're a germaphobe, I probably just gave you an aneurysm. I'm sorry, but I, because it did me. I'm not even a germaphobe. And I was like, oh, I want to wash my hands so bad. I'm like, what on earth? Why is that sign there? We know that sign is there because somebody tried that. I'm like, and it was just a little bitty thing. And I've just been thinking about that. Why in the world would, would somebody do that? It's not like a truck stop. It's not a shower. It was just a little hand sink. And then it hit me. A lot of us try to do the exact same thing. We try to go to the wrong places to deal with our sin, to get washed clean. Some of you are trying to overcome your sin. I'm just going to work harder at it. I'm going to get through it. I'm just going to I'm going to read more books. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to do more good things to drown out all my bad things. Guys, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. If you're dealing with sin, then deal with it. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. It's not our job, it's His job. Sociologist James D. Hunter said, 
The word sin has retreated mostly to dessert menus. He said butterscotch binge or fudge fandango are sinful. But when it comes to lying and gossip, adultery and deception, well, those are just problems. We fudge on those, of course. And I thought that that was really an interesting take on it. In some ways, we seem to be more upset about the sins of society than we are about the sins of the saints. We seem to hold on to it and ignore the little ones like gossip and bitterness and judgment. Listen, I'm here to tell you, we cannot scrub the sin out of our lives. Can't do it. The only way to deal with it is to own it and surrender it. Repent. Tell God of the infraction and receive the grace that He gives. Now you're going to look, and you can look, and I haven't been able to find it. I don't, there is no verse that says forgive yourself. Now our, our culture says that. Well, you got to treat yourself right and you got to care. And I, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. And a lot of people will say that. But biblically, the way to deal with forgiveness of you is to carry it to Him. And let Him wash you clean. If you can forgive yourself, there's no, no point in the cross. If you can get yourself clean enough, there is no point no point in any of this. The real path to dealing with guilt is surrender. But it's hard, huh? It's hard in trusting in His grace. Guys, do we get that God is not in the business of shaming us? He's not out to catch you. Obviously, I'm very passionate about all of this series and what we're talking about here. And so I've been pondering it. And I was just thinking this week how Jesus dealt with some of the people that he dealt with. A woman caught in the very act of adultery. He didn't condemn her. A woman that had five husbands and, and was living with the, you know, he didn't, he didn't come out and say, well, you need to straighten up. What about this one? The Roman centurion. The Roman centurion comes to him and says, hey man, my, my servant is sick. I know you can heal him. Jesus didn't say, well, I'm willing to heal him, but you've got to fix Nero in Rome. You've got to go, this is ridiculous. You people are sinning. He didn't jump on him for all of the cultural problems. He didn't call him out for the awful behaviors of other people. He just loved on him. The woman with the alabaster jar, remember, she breaks it and pours perfume over his feet and wipes it with, his ha- with her hair. And, and there can be some connotation to that of, of prostitution. And Jesus didn't say any of that. She, he actually called out her courage. He said, man, that was really brave. She did the right thing. In our Wednesdays in the Word, we're studying Romans. Romans 5, verse 5. This hope will not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Friends, condemnation is bait from Satan. It is demonic bait. He's trying to get you to... He's trying to whisper in your ear, you're so messed up that God couldn't use you. You're so far gone, there's no hope for you. Some of us think it makes us more holy to beat ourselves up. Well, i got to get rid of all this bad, you know. I don't. Friends, if you are in Christ, you are not condemned. I'm going to serve that one up on a platter for you, okay? You are not condemned. How great, how great is your love. My sin was great. Your grace was greater. When David sinned with Bathsheba, Psalm 51 was the result of that. And we, most of us know it from creating me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. And we sing that song or some songs. And But there's something really interesting. Verse 12, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I'm confessing right now, I've preached that wrong. I read that and said, David is crying out to God, please, I want my salvation with you. That's not what it says. It says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He already knew he was saved. But he lost the joy of it. What Jeremy was saying about comparison, it steals our joy. God wants us with Him, and the enemy wants us without Him. So, 
Choose Him. Then after your confession, after confessing it to Him, get up and get with your purpose. We're not going to have time to go to the other verse. 1 Corinthians 9. It's on the back of your handout. Go look at it later. But it's the verse that, that everybody runs a race to get a prize. And you're getting a prize that is going to fade away. But our prize is eternal. He says, so run with purpose in every step. Friends, our purpose, just like that intro when they're running around the track and they're passing off that baton, our purpose is to carry the message of Jesus. And guilt is going to come along and knock that thing out of our hands. Don't let the enemy steal that from you. Godly repentance moves us. Stick with me. We're just about out of time. Stephen Covey tells a story. Stephen Covey's a guy who wrote Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and all that stuff. Big, big guy, big writer. And he tells a story that happened to him. He was riding on a subway on a Sunday morning. And people were just going about their business. And a man gets on with two kids, and they start immediately acting up. They're fighting, and they're yelling, and throwing stuff. And the guy just sits down, kind of closes his eyes, and is oblivious to all this. Anybody been in that Walmart aisle? You know, like, are you going to do something about this? And... And he says, I sit there for a little while and I could tell I couldn't take it anymore. And he taps the guy on the shoulder and he says, sir, your children are really causing a lot of ruckus. Do you think you could do something about it? He said, as if he kind of woke up and realized what's going on and said, oh, yeah, I should do something. I'm sorry. We just, we came from the hospital where uh, their mother just died about an hour ago. And I just don't know what to do. And... Maybe they don't either. And he said his irritation immediately became empathy. Is that not a call for us? Look, you may not be dealing with this guilt, but you're dealing with something, right? We're all going through something. And if you, if you are, if, you, if guilt is hounding you and beating you up, Please, in the name of Jesus, do not leave this building without knowing God loves you. And if you need to stick around and talk and we pray, I'm fine with that. And if this doesn't apply to you, would you open your eyes when you go to work, when you go to the store, when you go because somebody's hurting? The game of life is hard. And we're all playing hurt. So let's be people that another one another. Let's pray. God, your mercy is bigger than our sin. For people that are battling with guilt and shame, may you forgive us. May we be confident in your power to wash clean. And Father, for those that are hurting, maybe outside of this building, maybe somebody we see today, maybe it's somebody at work tomorrow, give us eyes, give us a heart of empathy, a heart of caring to realize people are hurt. May we love one another the way you love us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.